You're listening to the Rural Roundup for the latest news in agriculture from the Scottish Government's Farm Advisory Service. I'm Kerry Hammond and today Tiffany McTaggart is joined again by Robert Ramsey and George Chalmers to discuss what's happening in the agricultural sector right now. Hi guys, how are you this week? Hi oh yeah, Tiffany, um, I'm fine. Um, it's uh, Yeah, it's been a fine weekend. Quite quiet, but just, just one with the family. Robert, how's your weekend been? Yeah, really good. Yeah, I was uh, working with sheep most of the weekend and a uh, ewes are remarkably fit so it's remarkably horrible to work with sheep in pens when they're pulling you about and rumbling but it's always good to see at this time of year that things are things are fit the job's working and he certainly tups seem to be working pretty hard as well so yep that's my kind of practical weekend summary i suppose that's good robert um i was out with the horse on sunday and it was nice having a christmas theme so i got to dress him up with the tinsel and i put sleigh bells around his neck as well which was quite fun happy days so um, there's not much really to be thinking about at this time of year, um, but there's definitely deadlines coming up on the 31st of December. So it's making sure that if you said you're going to do something by then, that it's done. So if you've had an EEX capital items, they've got to be completed by the 31st of December. Likewise, with the preparing for sustainable farming, soil sampling and carbon audits, they have got to be completed by the 31st of December. Um, If you were part of the Sustainable Agricultural Capital Grant Scheme, you also need to make sure you have received your items um, by the end of the year. And Scottish Suckler Beef Support Scheme, make sure you submit your calf claims uh, by the end of the year. If you do it before Christmas, it'll definitely take the stress off. A few years ago, I was asked to do, or I got a phone call from a farmer at 10 o'clock on Hogmanay to say, can you do my beef calf claim? So he gave me two hours and I was not necessarily in a professional footing to do that beef calf claim, but I managed to get a computer at a party and get the job done. But really, it's not the ideal scenario is a leaving it to 11th hour. So really, most people, most people now are spring calving. There's a lot of autumn and winter calvers too, but the majority of people are spring calving. There's really no reason for leaving it to the very, very 11th hour. So certainly have that conversation or or you know, get on and get the job done before Christmas and New Year so you can actually relax and have a good time. And and Robert, it's fair to say as well that with the calf claims, you can put in two or three calf claims over the course of the year. There is absolutely nothing stopping somebody claiming the eligible calves at, at this moment in time. If they've got a few tail enders that they're not quite sure about, haven't quite hot the 30 days, they can claim them claim them in the last week but certainly nothing stopping them getting the bulk of their calves claim now yeah and also if they were to run round so if they if you had one or two calves that didn't you know that hadn't had their birthday yet you can claim them next year so that you can claim that if you claim the vast majority this year you're ensuring that the vast majority of money is going to hit the account when that's paid if you if you do an additional claim in the same year it'll be fine and equally you can you can carry it through into the following year if you want so get it done definitely not worth the stress i'm surprised robert you even answered the phone um when they phoned you up that late but definitely great advice so do you usually have a traditional turkey for christmas we do yep we always have a have a turkey dinner we actually so a few years ago we for two or three years we actually reared some turkeys as well so we we had a it was an interesting place so dad grows quite a lot of 
on a small scale, a lot of fruit and veg. Um, and we actually had a Christmas dinner for three years. We had Christmas dinner that was entirely produced at home, which was great, right down to pigs and blankets and things. And did it did it make us any money? I'm not. I don't know if it did, but it was a real great achievement at the end of the year to actually really see how much we could do. I think there was things like there was some stuffing bought in bits and pieces, but the the vast majority of what we ate was ours, and it was a real it was a nice kind of celebration of what we had done for the rest of the year as well. I think as well, Robert and Tiffany. It's this time of year, the TV is full of adverts for the shops. Everything's getting ready for the big day. But it's important to realise that a lot of the the things that make that big day actually come from farms. Um, whether it's the, the meat, the vegetables, and even, even everything that goes towards the puddings as well, it, and, and some of the drinks, of course, uh, they all come from, you know, farming and agriculture. And it's still, I'd like to see there's a nice traditional part of it that we go back not all farms most farms don't but many people do get involved in producing something so there's still a few turkeys there's a few you know veg boxes and that type of things produced for christmas sold at the farm gate and nice you know nice short supply chains and probably looking at something that is that what the future looks like i I hope it does you know i think there's something really really pleasant, really nice. There's a real community feel to what we do at Christmas time eh, as as food producers. And if we can if we can get back to some of that um down the line for the rest of the year, I think it'd be phenomenal. I think I think taking it a step further, farmers markets uh, they seem to be becoming more and more prominent. I know our local farmers market it's normally the end of the month. They're pulling it forward to the seventeenth, I think this year, the last date. And they're you see their face on Facebook they're taking Christmas orders and that already. It's all local farmers who are who are driving that, and and every time they're on their market, they're busy. They get a lot of local support, and that's great to see. It's definitely great to see. I know I always try and go to the farmers market on the run up to Christmas, and um, you do get some good quality produce. And I always feel that everything tastes that much better when it's not travelled for miles and it's not been through supermarkets and sat for weeks. Everything's so fresh, it just tastes so much nicer. I saw Martin Kennedy's video today, so a NFU president doing you know, a, a pretty good summary of where, where we're at. And he was talking about... Um, loss of biodiversity and and basically where we've been forced to go in terms of economics, eggs being rationed, for example. And and you just think, if you take a big step back and think about would eggs be rationed if we bought eggs from the person, you know, if you bought them direct and you, you gave the person what they needed for it. You know, we've got so far removed by going through big retailers and multipliers and, you know, we've gone to a stage where the the farm gate price is no longer dictated in any way by the farmer and this type of activity so that that christmas period the the meat box thing the whatever that is the more we can do on the farm not everyone can do it but the more the more we can do on the farm the more chance we've got of actually dictating what price we're going to get yeah it it I think there was a great example quite recently goes back to your eggs i think was it a dozen eggs are going on 45 pence in a three-month period, and out of that, I think six or seven pence had gone back to the farmer. The rest was elsewhere in the supply chain, and that was quite telling um, because it was the farmer that had uh, endured the biggest jump in production costs. 
That's not great. Um, the only way we can keep farmers going, basically, is if we support them, especially over Christmas. But it's not just at Christmas. It's all year round. Um, going and buying le eggs locally and using veg boxes throughout the year. Um, it's the only way that we can help keep them in business. The other thing we do a lot of, you know, it's a real, it's a great, I, I really enjoy Christmas and New Year as a time where we do, certainly in our job, we, we put the barrow down for a couple of weeks and we go and do family stuff and do um, recharge batteries and things. But you do quite often go out for tea, you know, you'll go and see other people. And when you do go out for tea, there's another conversation that needs to be had with the hotel or restaurant you're in is where do they source their stuff from? Because what we found through COVID, COVID was a terrible time for us all, but an interesting time for farming in that the price of red meat went up or farm gate prices went up because the demand went up because supermarkets do actually support us in a red meat context, but um, the hospitality sector don't. They, they are forced by tight margins to, to source meat elsewhere quite often in Eastern Europe. Now, it's quite a legitimate question to ask. If you're ordering a steak in a restaurant, ask them where it came from. And if it didn't come from Scotland, if it didn't come from Britain, maybe we should start to ask that question and say, look, why not? You know, what, how much more would you have to pay to get a Scottish one? And until I think we start having those conversations, nothing's going to change. It is quite noticeable when you when you do go out to a hotel, and a lot of hotels will make a big play on the fact that it'll be on their menu that, this is who supplies their meat and such like this butcher, this farm. Some hotels don't have that. So I suppose that those are the ones that you really need to question. I think in the countryside, in the local pubs, you're far more likely to see where the meats come from and they have it on their menu as a selling point and you know that the farm is a couple of miles down the road. But it's probably in the bigger places like up in Edinburgh or across in Glasgow, that's probably where you're missing that link in the supply chain. I think as well as thinking of the benefits of buying local meat, it's also thinking about the environmental benefits. There must be huge benefits of having a short supply chain, being able to go and buy your eggs from your neighbour um, who produces eggs or being able to go and get vegetables locally. You're not having to have air miles, um, fuel being used uh, to transport food all around the country. So there must be huge environmental benefits as well. Yeah, that's right, Tiffany. Um, there is always, we're all involved in carbon auditing and such like in the meantime, and um, farmers are being asked to do their bit, trim their emissions all the way, you know, all the way through their production chain. Uh, it, you know, we've got to also realise that there are a lot of emissions tied up in distribution, further processing. The closer we can get that to the consumer closer we can get the the product to the consumer is going to cut that cut out a chunk of that emissions reduce the carbon footprint and uh, you know make the the whole food production chain much more sustainable going forward i think when we think about short supply chains we immediately think about buying something directly from the farm so that you know the a picking up your your tatties from the from the potato farmer down the road that it doesn't need to be that short you know the the shortened supply chain could just be buying british you could just be buying from our country. The thing I think it's worth highlighting or worth shouting from the rooftops, we are, as an industry, pretty well supported, but we're heavily regulated. And we're heavily regulated to make sure we do a better job and make sure the biodiversity story and the climate story, those are the two that are very much 
in focus at the moment. And farmers are, they do care about that and are, are trying to do a good job there. But as consumers, the best thing we can do to make sure that that end result happens, that we land up with a low carbon, high biodiversity sector is to actually buy the stuff from here. A sector with money in it will rise to the challenge here and will develop quicker than something that's struggling in hand to mouth. Is this your wish list for 2023, Robert, is for all supermarkets to only stock British food? I think we've got to be careful what we wish for there. What we can produce is limited and we do need a balancing, you know, there's there's going to be a need for global trade, but I don't really want to see lots of New Zealand lamb on a shelf when there's lots of British lamb. Fortunately, the, the story in New Zealand's changing anyway, the supplies are declining farms are changing and there's going to be less New Zealand lamb coming in anyway but the I think we need to be careful if it was a, a solely UK supermarket we could land up eating potatoes kale and beef all winter and that's although that sounds really good a on a you know kind of one off or once a week basis it wouldn't be ideal three meals a day so I think we do need we do always we're always going to need that balance but it's the importing a supermarket that didn't import cheaper substandard stuff would be my in my wish list george do you have a wish list as well um i think it's along along the same lines as uh as, as robert really um i'm obviously do a bit of pig work with sec and um one of the problems at the moment is that the price that producers receive is stagnated now the price is stagnated and it's still well below production cost the problem being that it kind of comes back to this that uh, it's far too easy to import it from continental Europe, and that is filling the shelves. Uh, so it's still producing, it's still supplying cheap food, but it is at the detriment really of home producers who are starting to pull the pin basically and then uh, wind up basically. I think my real wish list would be so in two thousand and nineteen. We we came into two thousand and nineteen, and all of farming was going fairly well. But we were feeling we were under a huge amount of pressure from the media and the public based purely on emissions and carbon and climate. We then came into um, 2020 and 2021 and the world went mad. You know, we were in lockdown. We were so at that stage, you were wishing for life to go back to normal. Then we came to 2022 and then the world really went mad. So COVID became less of an issue, but we got war and we got inflation and we got you know, massive changes in our industry. And actually, the industry's in quite a good position were it not for horrendous inflation. So what my real wish would be is that everything just calmed down a wee bit. In the time from 2019 to now, we've built up a really nice, a good story. Our environmental credentials are better and improving. We just need the wind in our sails for a while. And I I really hope 2023 is is the year that we actually get a fair wind and a kick at the ball. Let's hope for a nice quiet year in 2023 then. So what's on your desk over the next week, George? Uh, I have a, have, a, have a FAS meeting um, coming up looking at cover crops. I have several farm visits for carbon audits. I have a couple of meetings, other meetings coming off. So I've got quite a busy week ahead of me. How about you, Robert? Yeah, I have a FAS meeting tonight. I'm in the office on Tuesday, FAS meeting on Wednesday, Ardna Merkin on Thursday, and then Oban on Friday. So, yeah, that's the last of the crazy weeks, I think. That sounds very busy. I've got a FAS Connect meeting 
and I seem to be doing a lot of tidying up of things that are needing finished before Christmas. Thanks both and we'll see you again next time. The Farm Advisory Service has loads of helpful resources, publications, podcasts and events coming up. There's an in-person sheep nutrition workshop in the Borders on December the 15th at 10.30am. We'll be covering ewe management through pregnancy to support high lamb survival, how to assess forage quality and how to build rumen healthy rations based on your forage quality. The workshop will be hands-on and provide you with the skills to develop a ration based on your own context. Unfortunately, this workshop is limited to 12 people, so boot through the link in the show notes now. If possible, you need to bring along your own forage analysis results, a sample of forage in an airtight container, and any feed labels that you have. And good news, a tasty lunch will be provided. A new publication has been added to Faz.Scot, intended to help crofters to tackle fuel poverty. Crofters Fuel Poverty, Improving the Existing House Stock, sets out what government support is available to improve croft houses, which could in turn help you to reduce your energy bills. If this is of interest, you'll find it linked in the show notes. Episode 18 of Faz TV is out now, exploring the latest from Curtin Farm, including biodiversity updates, water management, and feed efficiency projects. Professor Davy McCracken at Curtin shares his views on future agricultural policy, which will impact on hill farmers and crofters across Scotland. Click the link in the show notes to watch now. This week, I caught up with Alistair Trail, a Principal Consultant in the Food and Enterprise team at SAC Consulting, and I asked him what's on his desk. Thanks very much, Kerry. The big project's on my desk at the moment, which I've been working on for the last few months, is the Food and Drink Tech Hub Business Support Service. It was great for us to win a contract with Hounds and Alex Enterprise to deliver this service, and it's a great project to be involved in. It's a three-year project where we'll get to work with over 300 food and drink businesses in the Highland Council area. So the aims of the project really are for us to support businesses develop their growth plans and provide them with one-to-one technical and uh, specialist support. Raise awareness and increase implementation of new technologies and opportunities such as digital and automation. And to develop collaborations between the public sector, the private sector and academia. Also for us to give insights into the actual physical tech hub, which is going to be built in Allness, just outside Inverness. So this is going to be a fantastic facility where businesses can use the new product development kitchens to develop innovative new products. Also visit the, the meeting rooms, the shared space, the collaboration space, and uh, learn about new technologies and collaborate with each other to, to try and get mutual benefits. From the business support service uh, aspect, we will be offering advice on things like packaging, marketing, sustainability, product development and one-to-one support. And we'll also be doing things like workshops, uh, a technical triage call where you can get some uh, signposting advice. We'll be doing innovation clinics where where businesses can talk to a panel of experts with some pre-defined questions where we can give you some hints and tips and advice. Doing common interest groups where businesses can work together if they're from the similar 
area or for a similar problem or a similar subsector, they can collaborate together for mutual benefit. We'll also be offering intensive one-to-one -one support and learning journeys. So it's a fantastic project. I really, really enjoy working on it. I've been doing it for a few months now and uh, be doing it for the next couple of years. So that is a big part of, of my day job. There are lots of different businesses that we work with as part of this project. A number of farms, rural businesses that are trying to add value to their business or diversify what they do to sell new products. We do a lot of work with businesses in charcuterie that are looking to add value. There's been some exciting meeting last week actually with a, with a vegan cheese company that's developing some innovative products and want to see how best they can get them to market or actually export. Uh, and it's also had a very interesting discussion with a business in the Black Isle who's trying to understand what the opportunities are for companies in the Black Isle to collaborate more together to show that the Black Isle could be self-sufficient and could grow the produce and the, the raw materials that you need to uh, have a self-sufficient economy in the Black Isle. So some really, really interesting stuff that we're that working on. It's, it's quite surprising. I really enjoy working in the rural sector, but I've never actually lived in the rural sector myself. I'm a bit of a city boy, but I've always liked visiting and enjoying working with businesses in the in the rural sector. I've always loved living in Scotland and enjoyed the natural beauty of the country. And two of my real passions, especially in work, but also in life, is sustainability and environment and Scottish local food. Um, the rural sector plays a vital role in producing some of the best quality food in, outside in the world, but also maintaining the natural beauty of, of Scotland. And even though I'm a city boy, I've really always wanted and enjoy working with rural businesses and rural communities. I do I love visiting the rural uh, communities with my personal life. I love taking the family out of into Royal, Royal Deeside. I, I live in Aberdeen, so it's not too far away. Huge golf fan. I love playing the golf. There's some of the best golf courses in Scotland are in Aberdeenshire on their doorstep. So I love going out and, and visiting rural communities and, 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 and playing golf and taking the family. I have two young children. I've got a eight-year-old daughter and a six-year-old son, and we love going out about into the rural communities. One of the passions, especially from my little boy, is visiting castles. So we do go around and, and visit a number of different castles, especially in Aberdeenshire, and then make use of the of the local facilities, the local food and drink. Try and also always go and visit some farm shops, uh, local uh, cafes that we can get some local food. So. Yeah, it's a real real passion of me and, and the families getting out and about and, and seeing what's available. I have previously been been a big Aberdeen supporter, so I always like travelling around around the country, visiting different places, visiting different football teams, but also then stopping maybe off the off the motorway and going doing a bit of exploring in the local areas and, and visiting farms and farm shops and so forth. So it's always been a big part of my life. There's two parts of my job that I really enjoy uh, linked to the rural sector. The first one is, is developing new innovative food for rural businesses and farms through our new product development service. So I don't know if you know, but SRUC has hospitality kitchens in Fife where we deliver training for students. But we also use these facilities and the expertise of our chefs to work with Scottish businesses, particularly rural businesses, to develop some new innovative food products for the, for the Scottish market. So I work with one of our chefs, Morag Hamilton, uh, and my role is to understand the market uh, and identify some businesses that might want to collaborate with us and then try and identify some funding to pay for the work. And then our chef, Morag Hamilton, does the interesting stuff in the kitchens developing these, these innovative products. So the projects in include many different things. It's usually it's either overcoming a technical challenge on a food product 
So if you're a business, you've got an idea for something really innovative, but you just don't have that technical expertise, then we will introduce you to our chefs and hopefully they'll be able to overcome that. Uh, we do a lot of reformulation work. So if you've got a product you're developing on your farm, then you want to make it healthier. So reducing the fat, the sugar, or maybe even want to go down the plant-based alternative route, then we'll be there to help develop them products, but also maintaining the taste, the texture, and, and the price point, which is important. And probably the most exciting thing that we do is just developing completely new, innovative products and prototypes for the for the Scottish market. Or that could be developing maybe an international product, but using Scottish local ingredients for that for that that Scottish version. So it's really exciting work. We do about seven or eight uh, new product development projects per year. Some of them vary from free from products, so uh, non-dairy products, low-calorie and healthy, but also them innovative products, things like sea buckthorn tonic. We've done sorghum, popcorn, aquafaba, a vegan cuckoo, which is a Persian frittata that doesn't use eggs. We've done some seaweed salads, uh, some fermented foods. And also these products taking advantage of new food trends like Stackification, uh, fermented foods, healthy fat, uh, plant-based and free from food. So it's a really exciting area to be involved in. And if you've got any products that you're working on, or if you've got a farm that you want to diversify, then just get in touch and we can see if we can help. Well, as I mentioned before, I'm a huge golf fan. I do like to play around the golf. A uh, huge Aberdeen supporter as well. I have a season ticket at Pataji, trying to convince the kids that's a good thing to do, but they're not having it yet. I suppose the interesting thing about me, uh, I used to work in China. I was there for two weeks every two years for about 18 months. And I actually got stuck in China back in 2011 when the Icelandic volcano stopped all air traffic. So my trip home ended up taking seven days using a combination of planes, trains, boats and automobiles. So it was really good. It's actually good fun, the trip. I mean, it wasn't at the time, but thinking back, it was it was great fun. We ended up flying into Israel and then managed to get a flight to Greece and then traveled the length of Greece in a bus and then got a boat to Bari and then managed to hire a car and drove from the bottom of Italy all the way to Paris and then Eurotunnel to London and then drove home from the train home from London to up to Aberdeen. So, yeah, so I always look back fondly about the time in China and that, that trip home especially is always something to talk about when chat's quiet in the pub. I'd love to speak to anyone who's interested in this area so if you want to talk to me in, in more detail my LinkedIn details are in the show notes. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Rural Roundup. We hope you enjoyed it please follow or subscribe to get notified of new episodes and we'll see you again in a fortnight. The Farm Advisory Service Podcast. Audio advice on livestock, crops and soils, environment, rural business and more. Brought to you in association with the Scottish Government.